All righty, Numbers 23. Numbers 23. All right, last week we were introduced to Balaam. And uh, just a quick reminder, if you were not with us last Wednesday, if you've not got a chance to listen to that, I highly encourage you to go back and get a chance. Because if you're not familiar with the story of Balaam in any way whatsoever, what's going to happen is this. As you're going to hear this tonight... And you are going to stop and think Balaam doesn't sound like that bad of a guy. Last week we covered the groundwork on who Balaam is and why we have so many other passages about him. He is mentioned, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, in eight different books of the Bible. He is mentioned more than Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's numerous New Testament passages there warning us to be careful of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam. And what happens is we get a much fuller picture of Balaam as we go on past this story. But if we only had Numbers 23 and 24 to know who Balaam was, we would actually walk away away from this thinking that Balaam was a pretty good prophet. We would think Balaam was a pretty good man of God. I encourage you, go back, listen to that. We'll hit a little bit of it tonight, but we really made the introduction of who Balaam was last week. So what happened is this. Moab sees Israel becoming much more powerful, coming into their area. So they hire Balaam, this prophet for hire, to come and curse Israel. Balak, the king of Moab, does this. So Numbers 22 is this story of Balak coming and trying to hire Balaam and getting him ready to do this, etc. And then what happens is, as Balaam is going, the donkey speaks to him. We covered this all last week. That's the most point that people remember is always the donkey speaking. But it's really quite a small part of this story. The real part of the story is Balaam's heart being against the Lord. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. So now Balaam and Balak have showed up to where Israel's encamped, and Balak has hired him. To curse Israel. So what happens now is you have four different prophecies. Four different prophecies given here about Israel. Where Balaam tries to curse Israel. But he can't. Now I'm just going to be straight up with you. I was listening to a message here. By a pastor by the name of John Corson. Who I've mentioned many times before. That I'm a big fan of. And he explained these four prophecies so great. I'm just going to literally take what he said here. As his four ways that he defined them. The first prophecy is about Israel being a chosen people. The second one is about Israel being a conquering people. The third one is about Israel being a content people. And the fourth one is about Israel being Christ people. So chosen people, conquering people, content people, Christ people. So you may be thinking that if I just took this from John Corson, why don't you just go listen to the message? You can do that if you'd like to. It's a very good message. But those four ways that he described it just fit in perfectly, and I thought it was wonderful. And I have learned as I've gone through the years of teaching, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. I can remember there's been twice, twice in the 20, uh, I can't remember how long I've been teaching, 20, 25 years that I've been teaching. There's been a point that I've made that I thought was just absolutely amazing, and I kid you not, I've made the point and probably patted myself on the back, and I heard a teaching that following week where somebody made the exact same point. I remember distinctly listening one time to the radio on the way home, and I remember that pastor making the exact same point that I made that I never heard anybody else say, and it was Pastor David Jeremiah. And I remember in my head, my first thought was, how did David Jeremiah already hear my lesson and record a message about what I said? So, there is nothing new under the sun. The Holy Spirit gives it to everybody. So, John Corson has a great thing of chosen, conquering, content, 
sent Christ, and I'm sure if you'd asked John Corson, first thing he would say is the Holy Spirit gave it to him. So I'm really just stealing that from the Holy Spirit. So with that being said, let's jump into this and remind ourselves what's going on. Balak, king of Moab, has hired Balaam to come curse Israel. Balaam is a prophet for hire, and here we go. Pick it up in Numbers 22, starting verse 1. Excuse me, Numbers 22, starting verse 41. So it was the next day that Balaam took Excuse me, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. And God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering and he and all the princes of Moab. Now let's lay a little bit of groundwork here before we get to the first prophecy. Please all note number one, verse one, this chapter, seven altars for me. Seven altars, that's just overkill. This is the aura of being religious. If you remember back when we talk about altars, you talk about Abraham building an altar and Isaac building an altar and Jacob building an altar, they built one altar. You don't need seven altars. There was just one there at the temple. There was just one at the tabernacle. This idea of seven altars is this aura of being very religious, this aura of being deep with God. Be careful of running into those people that go to overkill on certain things to make themselves look and seem very, very religious. When the deeper I go in Christ, the more humble and simple I see a relationship with Jesus Christ is. It's not seven altars. Another quick point here, note verse 4. And God met Balaam. God met Balaam. God used Balaam. God will use anything. We just talked about last week that God used a donkey. So God can use anything. I think of what it says in Psalm 110. It says, A Psalm of David, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. God says, I'm going to use your enemies as a footstool. If you've ever used a footstool, you don't even think about it. You grab it, you set it down, you stand on it. It's what you use to accomplish a task. God can use anything. He used a donkey in chapter 22. He's using Balaam. It doesn't make Balaam a good guy. He used it. Think back to the New Testament. God used Pilate. God used Judas. God used Caiaphas. These are all men that God used for a deeper purpose. Balaam does not interest it, is not interested in a relationship with Jehovah. So therefore God says, I'll use you as a footstool. There's nothing wrong with that. Please also remember verse 5. This will come up later. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Remember that phrase. The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. So let's get to the first prophecy. Now, verse 7, he took up his oracle. Some of your translations say oracle. Some of your translations say parable. Some of your translations say message. Some of your translations say discourse. It's all the same thing. God gave this to Balaam, and he's using Balaam as a mouthpiece to say these things. Here's the first one. It talks about Israel being God's chosen people. Remember, Balak hired Balaam to curse them. Balaam's going to bless them. God's chosen people, verse 7. He took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Far from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. They are a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let him die the death, excuse me, let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. 
lot of different things going on here. Let's talk about a couple things. First one, look at verse 10. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. How often do we want to die like the righteous but live like the world? I mean, just think about this. I want to live like a sinner, but I want to die like a saint. It doesn't work that way. If I want to die like the righteous, I need to be made righteous through Christ Jesus. If if I want to die like a saint, remember, saint just means set apart. That means I need to live like a saint set apart for Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying live by my work saving me. I'm saying since I have been made righteous by Christ, he has set me apart as a saint. I then die set apart for the Lord. There is deathbed conversions. I, I am a fan of deathbed conversions. There's a whole parable in the New Testament about deathbed conversions. Uh, I, I've been blessed to see some of them. Though the one I remember most, I was called to a nursing home, and uh, the, the guy was barely able to speak. And it was one of those where you literally go up right beside her, and you're almost like whispering in her ear. Do you want this? Do you want this relationship with Jesus Christ? And I remember her whispering, mouthing the words, yes. And we prayed right then, and she accepted the Lord, and she died about three, four hours later. I, I have seen that, and amen. But Balaam is saying right here, hey, I want this death of the righteous, but I don't want to live like the righteous. I want the death of a saint, but I want to live like a sinner. Balaam's going to get this. As we talked about last week, there's two times where it's recorded Balaam's death in the Bible. He's killed by the Jews. He's killed. He is judged for this. He's not a good guy. And he does get his death. He doesn't get his death like the righteous. He gets his death by the righteous, though. But now let's talk about the first prophecy here. God's chosen people. Verse 9 is an interesting verse. A people dwelling alone, the second part, not reckoning itself among the nations. New Living Translation has a nice little phrase there, this idea of separate. Separate. God has called out Israel to be different. They are a chosen people. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 22. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you, your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. God has told Abraham, you are a chosen people. I will bless you. I will protect you. I watch out for you. I will multiply you. You are a chosen people. Hence, verse 10, who can count the dust of Jacob? I think it's really interesting when God told Abraham that your descendants will be as the sand which is on the seashore. Neat little tie in there. Now, Israel's a chosen people. Please remember, we're chosen people as well, too. I think this is very important. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians tells us to set our mind on things above, not things on the earth. I think one of the biggest dangers I see happening to Christians is we get caught up in the environment of this world. There's a lot going on in this world right now. A lot going on in this world. We have riots going on. We have viruses going on. And it's easy to just get together and talk about it. There's no reason to talk about it. There's no reason to share opinions about it. What matters most is pray. Pray and use it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. That's what matters. If we remember our citizenship is in heaven, I don't need to get worked up in what's going on in this world because I have such an eternal, heavenly-minded focus that I want to get as many people as I can on the lifeboats. Remember, 
The ship is sinking, and it's my job to get as many people on the lifeboats through Jesus Christ as I can. And that's the goal, and that's what I want to do. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please remember, we are called to be separate as well. 2 Corinthians reminds us of this. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Be separate, says the Lord. For some reason, it seems like there's this push sometimes as Christians that we're saved, set apart saints... But yet we live like the world, talk like the world, act like the world. Because that's the only way to represent Christ to the world. And I, and I do not see that in the Bible. I see us being called apart. We are peculiar people. We are so strange. We're so different. It's not that we're purposely trying to be difficult. It's just the reality is of living pure in an impure world will do this. We were doing devotions with the boys the other day. And the subject came up that great verse in Isaiah. Woe to him who calls what is evil good and what is good evil. And we talked about how we're the minority on most moral issues now you know when it when it comes to what the definition of marriage is when it comes to being pro-life we're such a minority now in all these issues but god has called us to be separate to be called out and i'm sure you see it at school i'm sure you see it at work to take a stand for what is biblically right makes you the outcast it makes you the minority and this is a biblical concept that we've called out chosen people and that's how we need to go live let's not try to Relate to the world. Let's represent the world's salvation. That's what we're called to do. So the first port prophecy. We are, excuse me, uh, Israel is a chosen people. A chosen people. Verse 11. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, and you shall see only the outer part of them, and you shall not see them all. Curse them. For me from there. So he brought them into the field of Zophon to the top of Pixah, and he built seven altars and offered a bull and ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak unless you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? A couple points here that we've already established before, but let's repeat again. First thing you see there is this idea. Verse 16, the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth. Keep that in the back of your mind. That's going to come back a little bit again. Please note again, the seven altars and offering a bull and a ram, that aura of being religious. We see that same point being again. So understand. Please note that they go to a different area now. Verse 13, please come with me to another place. The the, the pagan people thought there was deities that covered geographical locations. So what happens is he's basically saying, okay, I get it. The God to curse them can't curse them from that area. So let's go to a different geographical area. That's why these gods had different areas. You had the God of the Canaanites, the God of the Philistines, the God of whatever. They they did not realize that Jehovah is the God over the entire earth. So Balak is trying to say, okay, gotcha. Let's just go to a different geographical area and we'll tap into a different deity here to make it work. It's not going to work. So God puts a word in Balaam's mouth, and let's see what happens. Here's the next prophecy. This prophecy is now a conquering people. A conquering people. 18. And he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do? Or has he spoken and will not make it good? Behold, I received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. 
He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord as God is with them. Then the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt, and he has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It is now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts up itself like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. A conquering people. Look at that. Remind ourselves one more time. Look at that in verse 24. A people rises like a lioness and lifts itself like like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Makes me think of Romans 8, 37. That we are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Verse 23. There is no sorcery against Jacob. There is no curse against them. These are a conquering people and you're not going to be able to defeat them, Balak. You cannot do it. They are chosen, and now they're a conquering people. And how do we know they're going to be a conquering people? Because verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And we already established back in Genesis 22. We established back in Genesis 12. God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will make you a great nation, Israel. God is not going to go back on this. This is a fancy theological term called the immutability of God. He does not change. That's what's so amazing about this. He does not change. This is repeated repeatedly throughout the Bible. James 1 Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Malachi 3 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. 1 Samuel 15 29, and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. That's the beauty of it. So, therefore, what can we take from that? Lamentations 3, if his mercies are new every morning, that means I don't wake up tomorrow and God just doesn't look at me and say, you know what, James, no mercy for you today, you're going to hell. He says he works good and does good, Romans eight twenty eight. That means if something happens in my life, God doesn't say, yeah, I lied on that one. I'm going to have some bad things come in that are just bad. There's no good that comes out of it. He's promised me he is good and does good. He has promised me a home in heaven. He has promised me grace and mercy. He has promised me these things. He is not a man that he should lie or relent or change. That's what Balaam is telling to Balak here. He said he would bless Israel. He's going to bless Israel. There is no money, no curse that can stop that. Now, but what happens when we read through the Bible where it talks about God changing? God changes how he deals with us, sometimes based on our disposition and our actions. But his character doesn't change. His character doesn't change and his promises don't change. He may change on how he deals with us. Just as a parent, I change on how I deal with my kids, but it never takes away my love for them, my promise to take care of them. So the unchangingness of God, the immutability of God, what a beautiful concept that you can hang your hat on and say, Lord, that's what I love about you, is you are solid and secure. That's why Psalm says you are the rock. So they are chosen people. They are conquering people. Let's go to our third one now. Verse 25. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Basically, Balak at this point says, listen, don't don't do anything anymore. Because you're not cursing them, you're actually blessing them. 26, so Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you, saying that all the Lord speaks that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, please come, I will take you to another place. 
Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. Once again, geographical locations, geographical deities. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Please understand to this point, Balak has put a lot of money into this curse. So you've now had seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams, not once, not twice, three times, traveling to get him twice, bringing him there. This is quite an investment. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw, now this is where it changes. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek using sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to the tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. See, I remember, I told you twice to remember earlier, Earlier it says, then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth. This is a different type of prophecy now. Verse 2, the Spirit of God came upon him. The Lord used Balaam earlier as a mouthpiece. God now says, Balaam, this one's different. And what happened to change this? Look how verse 1 reads differently. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, because remember, Balaam knew He was hired to curse Israel. He knew that. And it seems like the first couple times he he tried to work it in, he just couldn't. It's like this battle almost you see of of Balaam and God. And if you don't know the rest of the Bible, it looks like Balaam's a good guy. Remember, we've already covered this before. The error of Balaam, the greed of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, all these bad things about Balaam. And we also see from verse 1, he did not go out as other times to seek to use sorcery. So the other times he tried to use enchantments. He tries to use divinations. He tries to do it, and he can't. At this time, the Lord says, yeah, you are just not only my mouthpiece, I'm just taking you over for a little bit, Balaam. And this final two prophecies are completely different. The first ones established God's hand on Israel. They are my chosen people. They are my conquering people. Now it gets even deeper. But I think this is interesting. It says in 2, Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. If you remember correctly from Numbers chapter 2, it's very detailed. How the nation of Israel is supposed to camp. And, and we've had slides and all that other type of stuff. And if we could do the camera different and we could show you screens and PowerPoints up there, we would show you that. But we can't at this moment. They, they have specific areas where they're supposed to camp. All by tribes, all by allotment, whatever. And this is, I first heard it from Chuck Missler. This is a Chuck Missler point. And I know some of you are Chuck Missler fans. Um, you know where I'm going to go with this. Chuck Missler teaches this, that when Balaam was on top of this mountain, looking down now, and he sees the entire camp of Israel, because the other times he saw part of it, and he saw them encamped, that the way they encamped, according to Chuck Missler, is it would actually come out from the shape of a cross. Now, it's just one of those little Chuck Missler things. And if you've never listened to Chuck Missler before, you may not know what I'm saying. But if you've listened to him teach, you understand what I mean by it's a Chuck Missler thing. But Chuck Missler teaches that when he sees them encamped, the way their numbers came across, the way the tribes came across, it would actually come out in, in, in the form of a cross there. But he saw something in verse 2 that the Lord then used to make the Spirit of God come upon him. And let's now talk about this third one. Chosen people, conquering people, a content people. What do I mean by content? Verse 3. He took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. See, this is a different type of prophecy now. 5. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob! 
your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones, pierce them with his arrows. And he bows down, he lies down as a lion and as and him, excuse me, and as a lion who shall arouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. One commentator said this when you read verses four on abundance and dominance. Israel's content with the Lord. Look at five. Your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord. Think about this. Israel comes into Egypt with 70 people, Genesis tells us. And then, a few hundred years later, they leave with 2 to 3 million people. This is a nation that has been miraculously provided through the wilderness with water and manna. They beat Og and Sihon. We've already talked about that. This is a blessed group of people, and God's hand is upon them. And through the Spirit there, verse 2, Balaam is starting to get this. Verse 10, then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam. He struck his hands together and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and look, you have bountifully blessed them three times. But did Genesis say, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. Verse 11, Balaam, you're not getting paid. Now, we already know this is a big deal to Balaam. Please remember all the verses about Balaam from the New Testament. Second uh, Peter 2.15. Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Uh, Jude chapter 1. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Balaam wanted his money. We established that last week. Now, verse 11, it looks like he's not going to get paid. Verse 12, so Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will? What the Lord says that I must speak. Don't you almost see Balak like pleading, excuse me, Balaam pleading with Balak, saying, I, This isn't my fault. And now indeed I'm going to my people. Come, I will advise you what these people will do to your people in the latter days. Basically it says, hey, I got one more prophecy for you. Uh, and it's a free one. And you're not going to like it. Chosen people, conquering people, content people. Now Christ's people. Verse 15, he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, my new King James has him capitalized there. It means it's a reference to God. And you can see the prophecy. I see him, but not now. Balaam is getting a glimpse into the future of the Messiah. I behold him, but not near. It's not now. It's not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Beautiful reference right there to Matthew 2, the star that led the uh, wise men to Jesus. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Scepter showing rulership, leadership there. The Messiah will be a king. The Messiah will be something special. Messiah, the sign will direct. And the batter, the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tolmet. So basically, Balak, Moab, 
you guys are going to run into some trouble here. 18. And not only Moab. Let's just go through all the countries that are going to run into trouble. 18. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession. What Israel does valiantly. So Edom falls where Israel is blessed. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations. But shall be last until he perishes. Amalek is the power at this time, but they're going to perish. Then he looked on the Canaanites. He took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. You think you're strong and secure. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? You'll be defeated. 23, then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher, and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. So Moabites are going to be defeated. The Edomites are going to be defeated. The Amalekites are going to be defeated. The Canaanites are going to be defeated. And if you don't believe in biblical prophecy, let me just ask you straight up right here. Have you ever met a Moabite? I doubt it. I doubt you work with an Edomite. I doubt you know an Amalekite. And I doubt you married a Canaanite. They don't exist. They are perished. They're destroyed. Because God said that is what is going to happen. But guess what? The Jews are still here. That to me, see, this, this is, we have a tendency to look at like a prophecy like this. And we read verse 18 to 24 and our mind just shuts off. I don't know who Edom is. I don't know where Seir is. Um, I don't know who the Amalekites are. I don't know who the Canaanites are. I don't know who this Asher guy is in 22. And I don't know what we're talking about with Eber and all this stuff. And our mind just shuts off. Listen. God says, Edomites, Moabites, Amalekites, Canaanites, you're all going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened. And the Jews, thousands of years later, are still existing. Because God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God does. And he says, listen, you're going to all figure out your own defeat. Did you, did you note how this works? Look at 22. Asher defeats the Canaanites. But then, verse 24, ships show up to defeat Asher. So basically, God says, I'll use country A to defeat country B. Then I'll use country C to defeat country B. This is what God does also later on. If you remember correctly, the Assyrians are used to judge Israel. And we stop and say, well, that's not fair, God. Why are you using this heathen nation of Assyria to judge your people? But then God judges Assyria with Babylon. Well, that's not fair. Well, then God judges Babylon with the Medes and the Persians. Then God judges the Medes and the Persians with the Greeks. Then God judges the Greeks with the Romans. He uses his enemies as a footstool goes back to our first point. Why is God using Balaam, this greedy, awful man? Because God says, I can. He's my footstool. That's exactly what he's doing here with these nations. So it's easy to skip over 18 through 24, but it's all fulfilled prophecy right there in front of us. And that's what makes this so absolutely amazing. Nice. Do we got any questions or anything? What's that? Immutability. immutability yeah, verses on the immutability. Now, I can't say it, Elias. Immutability. Seriously, I can't say it now. Okay, those verses were uh, James 1 17, Malachi 3 6, 1 Samuel 15 29. James 1 17, Malachi 3 6, 1 Samuel 15 29. Immutability. Immutability of God. Any other questions? That's it? Okay. All right. So I want to finish with this. We're not going to actually do a study on Numbers 25 because number 25 is its own separate thing. But I want you to note how this fits in. Look real quick. One, 
Now Israel remained in Achaia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Now, there's a reason why this is right here. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened, and then I'm going to show you the verses to back up what happened. What happened was this. Balaam couldn't curse Israel. He tried. He tried multiple times. You've seen that. Balaam then goes to Balak, and he says, listen, I can't curse him, but I know how we can take him down. You're going to get your pretty girls, and you're going to send your pretty girls in to the Jewish guys. And the Jewish guys are going to like your pretty girls. And next thing you know, you're going to combine sexual morality with your idol worship of your gods. And we're going to take down Israel from the inside out through idolatry and sexual morality. So that's what Balaam did. Since he could not curse them, he still wanted his money. He still wanted his pay. He says, I got a way, way we can take him down. And that's how we did it. And that's exactly what you see happening. Now, before you think I'm just making that up, I'm not making that up. And let me give you the verses to back up here what we know and how this happened. I'll just give you a couple of the verses here real quick. Uh, Revelation 2.14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have heard that those... And you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. And tells us exactly what happened. Who taught Balak... To put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual morality. Revelation 2.14 tells us exactly what happens. Balaam teaches Balak how to take him down. Put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, bring in false worship, and commit sexual morality. And how did he get them to commit sexual morality? It sure like, looks like he used the pretty girls of Moab to come in. And they, next thing you know, all these awful things are happening. So what happens to Balaam? We know that there's two passages later on here that makes it abundantly clear. Balaam is then put to death. Jump ahead to Numbers 31 with me real quick. Because if you look in Numbers 31... Just thrown right in there in the middle of it. Numbers 31. Start in verse uh, 8. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Eba, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Balaam is still hanging out with the enemy, the Midianites. That would just completely, utterly blows my mind. It's also mentioned again in Joshua about Balaam being killed. Balaam, who had, dare I say, and don't, don't take this and run with this about eternal security. Balaam, who had a relationship with God, actually called him Lord, Jehovah, covenant name, who took the words of the Lord, had the Spirit come upon him, still made a deal with Balak, still hanging out with the Midianites, the bad guys, and he died. Remember what we said earlier. Balaam said he wanted to die like the righteous, but he wanted to live like a sinner. You can't live like a sinner and die like a saint. And that's what Balaam was trying to do. And that's why three times in the New Testament it warns us of Balaam. The way of Balaam who loved wages of unrighteousness. The doctrine of Balaam which is sexual morality and idolatry. And then we have the error of Balaam which is profit and greed. We can learn a lot from Balaam here, and this is something we need to do. So once again, if you only read 23 and 24, you would walk away saying Balaam was one of God's prophets. Now, you got to get 22, you got to get part of 25, and you got to get all the other verses in the Bible there. And it talks about how much of a danger Balaam actually was. And that's why Balaam is so dangerous, because you see this aura of spirituality you see the altars you see the spirit of god coming upon him you see him being a mouthpiece of the lord that's why it's so vitally important to be careful you know we're going through in our thursday study 
Men's Day, we're doing the book of Acts. And we just did the reference in the book of Acts where the demon-possessed girl is following around Paul. And she's following Paul around saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That's a really good statement. That's true. Paul was a servant of the Most High God proclaiming the way of salvation. Except you don't want a letter of reference from a demon. And that's exactly what Satan does. Remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And if you look at Balaam, he looks good, he sounds good, but there's a lot of danger with Balaam. And we see that from studying out the whole Bible. So, final thoughts on this. Be careful of the aura of being religious. Careful of those people that look very good, but there's no depth to them. It doesn't line up scripturally. Be careful of what we can learn from Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam. Be careful of those people there and learn from that to say, listen, God, you have a chosen people, a conquering people, a content people, Christ people. I wish the world would learn not to mess with Israel. And Balaam is a great example of that. Any other thing else, Elias? Nope, we're good. All right. Let's pray ourselves out here, then we'll let you guys go. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for this time tonight. Help us to learn from Balaam. Help us to learn to stick to your truth. Not just look like we got it, but to really deeply know you personally. I I just, just come into mind right now is Matthew 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not heal the sick? And you said, away from me, I never knew you. Lord, show us what it really means to have that true relationship with you. And and if there's something in here that is insincere, that's fake, that's false, reveal that for your glory. Lord, let us not go the doctrine, the way, the error of Balaam, but to focus on you. And Lord, help us to always remember as a nation and as individuals. You bless those who bless Israel and you curse those who curse Israel. Let us as individuals bless Israel. I think what it says in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray right now from also uh, for Ephraim and, and, and Jeannie, you know, just church over there and missionaries over there in Israel. And Lord, as a nation, help us to never curse Israel. Oh, Lord, as a nation, let us always seek you. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Uh, final announcements. Uh, note prayer calls are no longer on Sunday at 3. They're now Tuesdays at 7. Prayer calls are now Tuesdays at 7, if I remember correctly. That information should be on the church Facebook page. We'll get that out there if it's not. And don't forget this coming Sunday, we're honoring our graduates at the 1030 service. Honoring the graduates at the 1030 service here in the sanctuary on Sunday. And so that should be a lot of fun. So you guys have a good week. God bless. And we'll see you guys next week.